when you go to preach, it's an interesting thing, especially on an Easter Sunday morning. Think in your mind how many times this message has been preached. If I said it's been preached 10,000 times today, that would probably be an understatement. Now you multiply that times all of the services and all of the years and over 2,000 years of the preaching of this message, and you start to get the magnitude. And Paul says, that's all I preach is Christ and Him crucified. And you start to think, wow. Then the passage we're going to read, I absolutely love this passage of Scripture, but you have the two men on the road to Emmaus. They were not strangers to all of this truth. They actually had all the pieces to the puzzle in their hands. It's when the Lord took all those pieces that actually made a picture that they could understand. And I sat here wondering this morning, how many of these pieces do we have? And when we get to heaven, the Lord's going to show, show us. Didn't you see the whole picture? We're looking through a glass darkly, and like the men on the road to Emmaus, we're going to get to heaven and figure out, man, there was so much we did not understand. We had all the pieces there. We just didn't put them all in the right places, and there's so much. But what we do understand is actually a really marvelous thing. And so listen very carefully as we read. We're going to read the entire passage here um, of Luke chapter number 24. We're only going to speak on a very small piece of this, but Luke chapter number 24. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And when they entered in, and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, he is, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed as to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed wondering in himself at, which, at that which was come to pass. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore and furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one with another, as ye have walked and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things that are come to pass here, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, 
concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found out his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said. But they saw him, but, the, but him they saw not. Then, said, un, then he said unto them, O foolish and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would go, have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward even, evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared unto Simon. Wonderful passage of scripture. A few years ago, I was watching, I don't know how it came up, but I was watching in a church their Easter Sunday morning service. I can't remember for sure, but I think it might have actually been a church that's in the Des Moines area, but I am not for sure on that. But in this service, it was filled with raucous music. The people were dancing and all through the auditorium, and basically they were singing, the basics of it was a celebration of spring. It's alive, we're alive. And thrown in there every now and then was a he's alive. Now, I have to admit, I'm not really big on winter. I have to admit, it's a very depressing thing for me. I hate the cold. I don't like the color brown. And everything looks dead and depressing to me in the wintertime. I'll also admit that there's a certain thrill and happiness that I get when seemingly dead plants spring little green buds on the end of them. Yes. And what's dead looks like it's and now, it looks dead, is now coming back to life. Everything that's been dead for five months is now starting to spring up with life, and that makes me happy inside. I understand how a person who has not read the scripture could slip in their thinking from he's alive to it's alive to we're alive, and it is the spring, and so we celebrate spring. I can see it 
and I understand it, if you have never read the Bible. But if you have any concept of what the Bible teaches and what Jesus Christ was actually doing as he was dwelling here among us, if all of you can get out of Easter, the resurrection day of our Lord, is a celebration of spring and the fact that you're alive, you have missed the entire thing in its entirety. This is not a celebration that we are alive or of spring. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the most momentous event in human history. Basically, all of the other events don't even matter. And if you miss this event and the truths of it, or you let them be minimized in your mind, you are making a serious mistake. Most of you here, if I were to take this service and turn it into a celebration of spring, it would be a cause for you, I guarantee you, in the foyer, I would be backed into the, under the coat rack, and there would be serious reprimands for doing such a thing. In fact, it would probably mean my termination here as pastor of the church. Because to turn such a momentous occasion into a celebration of spring is not to be done. As I was studying and considering this magnificent event, and by the way, I really enjoyed the crucifixion service on Wednesday night. We changed it uh, another uh, to a the verses and so forth and the songs. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate everybody who was involved in that. If you missed Wednesday night service, you missed it. But as I've been considering all through this week, one word actually came, kept coming to mind. One phrase from what we read, but actually just one word. It's verse number 34. The Lord is risen indeed. That word indeed kept coming back over and over and over and over again to my mind. The Lord is risen indeed. The word indeed means certainly. It means in reality. It means in point of fact. It means truly. The Lord is risen is a statement. And indeed jumps in there like, hey, pay attention to what's happening here. Pay attention. This isn't just words. The Lord is actually and truly risen from the dead. We'll take that as our title this morning. The Lord is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. There is no way to do this, Father. In our own strength. There's no way to say it. There's no way to hear it. With the, only the power that we have. Oh, but Father, if you would turn your spirit loose. Not only to guide my mouth. But to guide the ears of these hearers. We could understand truth. And that truth would not just stay on the surface. But would go, would go and cut us deep where it needs to de- cut us and change us the way that we need to be changed. It would meet our needs, Father, and draw us to yourself and conform us to the image of our Savior. All of these things we desire 
and all of them have been paid for by our blessed Lord. So we ask you now for them in the precious name of Jesus Christ. If you do outlining on these uh, messages, I don't know how the outline's going to for sure lay out for you. Um, really, we're just going to take a walk through the truths of this momentous occasion. There is a technical outline to it. Whether you come up with that or not is not material. But if we were outlining point number one, with two facts that we really got to establish here in this about this occasion. Number one, Christ was really dead. Now, if you do not get that firmly established in your mind, the resurrection has very little meaning. But Christ was actually dead. Now, there's been a lot of studies done on this, and we're not going to try to repeat all of that. We just don't have time. But let's walk through the basics. Think about the time from the Garden of Gethsemane to... Uh, until the time when Christ was crucified, up until that point. Think about what takes place in that time frame. From the Garden of Gethsemane until they're getting ready to crucify him. He has been brutally handled. This is to put it mildly. To say that the Lord was brutally handled is a mild translation of that. He has been beaten. He has been punched. He has had his beard pulled out. He has had a crown of thorns placed on his head and then had that crown beat in with a stick. He has been scourged by a professional. This guy knew his job. The Romans were good at this. And with a cat of nine tails, there is, it's almost beyond words what a man can do with a cat of nine tails. The psalmist said, the plowers did plow upon my back. In Iowa, we know what that means. The plowers did plow upon my back. If you think all this through, the loss of blood and the abuse that he's taken by this point, he is so weak that he is unable to carry his own cross. He has been abused so badly and has lost so much blood that the cross is too heavy for him to, to carry. Now, think this through. You see the Lord Jesus with the cross on his back. He falls underneath the weight. Do you think that the Roman soldier who's taking him up to crucify him has pity? If you think there's any pity in the heart of the Roman Empire, you are, you are on the wrong page, my friend. Imagine the kicks and the beating that he takes to struggle back to his feet again. They didn't just say, oh, you fell down. Let's see if so we can get somebody else to do this. You have got to know that he got beat till he stood up again yes. and carried his cross until he fell again and beat until they beat him so much that they realized he's not going to get up. And we got to get this thing done so we can't take all day here. And so they compel Simon the Cyrenian to pick up the cross. You've got to understand Simon was just standing there watching what's going on. He's just a bystander. Food for thought. 
would you want to be Simon the Cyrenian or not? Is Simon a good guy or a bad guy? I'll leave that for future thought. You say, well, how does that? To be able to carry that cross for the Lord, you'd say, man, I wouldn't have mind doing that. But to carry a cross for an innocent man to be crucified, you're like, wait a second. I'm not sure about that. So I, I'll leave that to your own thought process for the next couple of weeks as to whether he's the good guy or the bad guy, whether you'd want to have been him or not. I don't really know where I stand on that at this moment, but it is interesting. But Simon is compelled to carry this cross. Think about the loss of blood, the beatings that he has taken now up to this point. He is so weak that he must have help. Now he's being crucified. This was not gently done. This was not a pretty sight. We've already described this many times before. The Romans crucified. Their point was not to kill. Death was inevitable. But the point was to string a guy along, torturing him for as long as they possibly could to make the death as miserable as possible. They'd pound. Now, this is for real. This isn't just some play-acting thing. They pound for real. Nails through his hands and through his feet. If you can imagine what that would do to you emotionally and physically. They pound these nails. They hang him on this cross and drop that cross in that hole. And he struggles there. Now he's, how long is he on the cross? From 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock basically. Six hours he's hanging there. Struggling. You, you actually suffocate to death on a cross. Struggling to breathe for six hours. But remember, before he ever got there, he's already suffering from loss of blood. Now, where is he bleeding from for six hours? He is bleeding from his head. He is bleeding from his face. He is bleeding from his hands. He is bleeding from his back. He is bleeding from his feet. And whatever other lacerations that he has at this moment from this treatment, he is bleeding from every part of his body. Now, these are not coagulating wounds. These are open wounds, continually being opened as you're struggling to breathe, pushing off of them. And so you are bleed. he is bleeding from every part of his body for six hours. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. His life is literally dripping out of him. The Romans knew their job. They knew when a man was dead and when he wasn't dead. Crucifixion was no new thing to them. They were crucifying basically every day, sometimes a thousand people in one day. They knew their job. The Lord cries out, it is finished, and dies on that cross. The Bible states it. That's good enough. It's the way it is. Christ died. But the Roman soldier standing there knows as well. 
the Jews said, we've got to get these guys off of here. It's gonna, they're going to mess up our religious holiday if we don't get these guys off of here. So we've got to get them down. So what happens? How long does Christ hang on the cross dead? We don't have an exact number on that, but it's got to take some time because Joseph of Arimathea decides he's going to get the body. He goes to Pilate. Pilate verifies the fact that, yes, he's dead. Now, Roman soldiers don't make a mistake on this. You make that kind of mistake in Rome, the next, you're the next guy crucified. So they don't make a mistake here. Pilate comes back. Pilate gets the information, yes, he is dead. And Joseph gets him. But you have to remember, they already knew he was dead. Because when they weren't dead, when they hurry it up, they break their legs. And so the soldier comes up with a club and breaks the two thieves' legs to, to make sure they're dead, to, make, to, to kill them, actually. Let's get them dead now. He goes to kill the Lord, and he knows he's already dead. Why break his legs? What he didn't know at the time was he was fulfilling Bible prophecy. Yes. He didn't know that, but he was. But, you know, you're in Rome, you better make sure. So the one guy's got a spear, and he says, well, let's just make sure. I'm no, I know he's dead, but let's make sure. And stabs the Lord in the heart with a spear. And blood and water come running out. He's dead. They know he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, yes, Nicodemus take the body down. Look, when you handle a body to bury it, you know it's dead or not. We won't go into all the details of that, but you know that you're dealing with a dead body. They wrap him up like a mummy and put him in a grave for three days sealed up. My friend, there is no question that he was dead. Let any of, there's no reasonable doubt that there's no way a man could have survived that. So, get it set in your mind, one fact, he was dead. Number two, he was truly alive. Not just some spiritual thing, not just some feeling in people's hearts, not just some mirage. Christ was really alive. Once again, the facts have been covered in depth many times, and we won't recover that ground, but let's just sum it really quickly here. Luke says in the book of Acts that there are many infallible proofs. What does that mean? <laughs> the guys on the scene said, there is no mistake about this. These proofs are so, so clear, you cannot make any mistake about this. Many infallible proofs. The tomb was empty. The angels attested to the fact that Christ was alive. Mary talked to the Lord. The disciples saw him on multiple occasions. Thomas was encouraged, said, look, you want to stick your finger right there? You want to stick your finger in my side, your hand in my side? Go ahead. They could touch him. They could handle him. Over 500 people saw him at the same time. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, look, all these people, some of them, a few of them have passed away, but almost all of them are still alive. If you don't, if you don't believe, you go talk to them. Yeah. We were all there. We all saw, they all saw him that they, he was alive. It is beyond any question that Christ was truly dead and that he truly rose from the dead. Now, 
for our next two thoughts, these can either be three or four or one and two again. But there's two doctrinal facts that are of momentous importance because Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. We've covered them in the past, but we would be very remiss if we did not cover them again this morning. Because of Christ's resurrection, number one, we know that our sin debt is paid. Because of Christ's resurrection, we know that our sin debt is paid. Now, the facts of the gospel are very simple. Let me state them just categorically. Man has sinned. Sin separates us from God. Sin must be punished. If we pay that sin debt, it will take us all of eternity to do so. Christ, God the Son, came and was born as a man. He lived his life without sin. He took our sin debt upon himself. He died in our place as a substitute. This is all facts, and they're wonderful facts as far as they go. But what does it mean to us if Christ is still in the grave? What those facts mean to us if Christ is still in the grave is absolutely nothing. That's what it means. You say Christ died for our sins, but if he is still in the grave, then we have more questions than we have answers. Because if Christ is still in the grave and our sin put him there, either he had sin of his own, and could not be our substitute. He said it, but he actually couldn't be it. Or he didn't pay it all off yet. If our sin put him in the grave and he's still there, then somebody's sin isn't done and finished with yet. And we are left in a very bad way. But my friend, Christ is risen Indeed, for, for sure, certainly. What does this mean? That's the game changer for us. It proves not only was he the perfect substitute, but your sin, my sin, was paid in full. It was our sin that put him in the grave. And until that sin was dealt with permanently, he could not come out of the grave. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And he died. Three days later, he burst forth from the grave. It is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter number 53. He, God the Father, shall see the travail of his soul, God the Son, and shall be, what a wonderful word, satisfied. Your sin debt was paid by Jesus Christ. God the Father, the law of God, was paid for in totality by the Son. Our sin debt is paid in full. This is one of the momentous doctrinal facts of the resurrection. Number two, because of the resurrection, of Christ's resurrection, there is a resurrection of the dead. 
Because of Christ's resurrection, there is a resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, that's its whole point, is because Christ rose, so will we. When we place our loved ones in the ground, and when we are placed there ourselves, this is not the end of the story. There is a resurrection from the dead, because Christ rose from the dead, so will we. Paul says in the book of Acts, there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. The grave was not the end of Christ, neither will it be for us. He came out of the grave, and so will we. So we've come quite some way covering this in generics. Our sin is paid in full. And there is a resurrection of the dead. These are two momentous doctrinal facts that we know from Christ's resurrection. But in these last few moments, I want to consider some very practical effects since the Lord is risen indeed. Things that touch your life on a daily basis since the Lord is risen indeed. I spent this week, and it was a help to me this week, as I considered, as I was considering Christ's death, I was comparing his death to the death of other famous or influential people. Our, our history books and our own lives are full of people who influenced or helped us either personally or nationally or the whole human race in general. And I was comparing Christ's death to theirs. All these men, these famous men, have died, or will do so shortly, and they have a grave, just like Jesus had. Of course, some men have been brought back to life. You have some who have died for a few minutes, and some quick-thinking paramedics do some quick work on them, and although they were technically dead, they are resuscitated. We have some who were dead for several days. Lazarus, the widow of Nain's son, um, the Jairus' daughter, to name a few. They came out of the grave. They were dead, and they were back alive. With all of those, yes, they did come back alive, but they, their coming back was kind of like a guilty prisoner who gets out on bail. He's out, but he's going back. All of these, they came out of the grave, yes, but they went back and they're in the grave now. With the Lord Jesus, we have something totally different. Yes, he was dead. Yes, he was buried. But he rose from the grave and there was no going back to the grave for him. The Lord is risen indeed. Now, let's cover very quick three practical implications in our day. One, because the Lord is risen indeed, he can be talked with. I know that's not proper English, but you understand it. The Lord can be talked with. He can be talked with. My grandpa and grandma on my mom's side are buried in a little town, um, southeast of Knoxville called Tracy. It's a little town there and they're buried there. 
I try to get back there about once a year. It doesn't quite happen that often, but I, I go as often as I can out to where they're buried. And then I stand there at their grave thinking about all the difference that they made in my life and how what the, the memories that I have of them. Tears will run down my face as I think about them. And I, you've all done this, you think about all that they've done and you're very thankful for all that they did. And sometimes I actually express that standing there at the grave. But you know what? They don't hear me. And all that my grandfather and grandmother taught me in my life, you know what? They don't have any more messages for me. I stand there and I remember, but what they taught me is in the past. And I talk, but they don't listen. And I listen, but they don't say anything new. There are no new messages. Do you understand that? You stand there at the grave because they're dead. And they don't hear anymore. And they don't speak anymore. If I went to the Lincoln Memorial, Lincoln's not buried there, he's actually buried in Springfield, but if we went to either his grave or, or to the Lincoln Memorial, you know, Lincoln is quoted for of saying a lot of things. If Lincoln actually said everything that he said that he's quoted for, he would have been talking nonstop. He didn't say everything that he said. I think it's interesting. They talked about it in Sunday school this morning. The Lord said if we actually recorded everything that he said and did, the world could not contain the books. But Lincoln has a bunch of books that he didn't actually say that are attributed to him. But if I stood there at the Lincoln Memorial and thought about what he meant to the country and all that, you know what? There's no new things. He doesn't have any new information on how to help the country anymore. He's dead. And you can talk all you want, but he's not listening. And you can listen all you want, but he hasn't got anything new to say. It's all been said and whatever, there's nothing new coming. Because they're dead. You know, want to know something? The Lord is risen indeed. And when I talk, He's listening. Amen. That's good. Right. And when I listen, He still has things to say to me every single day. Amen. You hear Him, I never heard the Lord speak audibly. But you hear him speaking in your heart, and almost everybody here knows exactly what I'm saying. The Lord is alive indeed. And he does have something to say for you today. He does listen to your troubles. He listens to your problems. And he has answers today. Why? Because, my friend, he's alive indeed. Truly alive. And this is worth celebrating. The Lord is risen indeed, and he listens. Number two. His work goes on under his direction. His work goes on under his direction. His work continues on. Yesterday, I wanted to go. There was a large auction in Ottumwa. I, I wasn't able to make it, but there was a, lar a huge auction. I don't know what happened to the two people. It was some older people had been collecting, working on clocks and collecting antiques for their entire life. The pictures of what they had was just boggled your mind. They had been collecting, and now their life, I don't know if they died or they went to nursing home, I don't know. 
But yesterday in Ottumwa, the collecting was over. And like a bunch of rats there, that collection was being torn apart and hauled off. I wanted to be one of the rats, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> they had a life's work. Everything that they had done, right? That was the, what they were doing, was collecting antiques and working on these old clocks. When they died, that work was done. And a work of a lifetime was undone in less than a day. Why? Because once you're dead, your work ceases and just kind of vanishes. Sometimes the work goes on, kind of. In Friday, Friday I was in Pella. And as I was passing by a road, I look over and there's a truck sitting there. And on the side of the truck, there's a sign that says, Midwest Sanitation. My grandpa started that company. I have to tell you, I don't think there's probably much left of what grandpa started. I have to tell you that the trucks didn't look the same. They didn't look, I don't know what's all going on there. But grandpa's part of it, all of his say-so in it, is not under his supervision anymore. Let me just put it that way. He's doing, they're doing whatever they want to do. And what grandpa did is not there, the same thing. Do you understand that? His work doesn't continue. Why? Because grandpa died. And the work doesn't continue. But my friend, the Lord is alive indeed. And his work goes on under his supervision. He hasn't farmed that out. He hasn't given anybody else the job to do that. He is in charge of his own work. He finished the work of salvation. But he has the work of building his church. And he's in charge of that in totality. And you are not in charge, but we're working under his supervision. This is such a wonderful thing. The Lord is alive indeed. He is still working. He is still doing his work. It hasn't been put on the shelf. It hasn't been altered. It's not been given to anybody else. The Lord is alive and still doing his work under his own supervision. He is doing the work. This is a wonderful thing because the Lord is risen indeed. The work goes on under his own supervision. Number three, daily practical applications of this resurrection of the dead, because the Lord is risen indeed, he provides all that I need. He provides all that I need. We've been watching the Beverly Hillbillies. And if you watch the Beverly Hillbillies, you know that Jed had $40 million in the bank from this oil. And they're always deciding to go back home to the hills and they want their money. So with Jethro doing the ciphering, they have four bags of four million, that's $10 million in each bag, and they'll take that in silver, quarters, dimes, and nickels. <laughs> so that's one of the things they're always going for. The last episode we watched, one of the last ones, Granny decided she wanted her money, she was going to keep it in her mattress. So they delivered a million dollars in cash, and Granny was stuffing her mattress. If you can imagine what, she had it down in the foyer there, if you remember the show. She's trying to stuff this huge mound inside this mattress. She's jamming it with both of her feet, trying to get her mattress filled with this money. Now, I don't suppose that there's anybody here who's an oil millionaire 
most of us here are not what we would call wealthy people. I learned a lot, figured out a long time ago, I'm never going to be super rich and have a bank full of money. We made a will when the kids were just little. In case something happened to Carol and I, we decided, said, the will said where they would go and what would happen to them. I will have to say that in that will, there was not much provision for the kids. While they were alive, they were completely taken care of, and as long as we lived, we would make sure they had what they needed. But I didn't have this huge sum of money. Whoever got the kids was not going to fall into a windfall, if you understand. Somebody was going to have to pick up the slack because I'd be dead and I wouldn't be able to provide for my own kids. And one of my siblings would have had to have taken up on that and provided for my children. Do you understand that? I think we all understand that. Because I was alive, when I was alive, I could take care of them. But if I died, they're on their own. Are your wheels clicking? My friend, the Lord is alive, is risen indeed. Tim sent me a text the other day, and I chewed on it all, all day long. And The only response I could come up with that seemed to fit was, Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto, bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Look, the Lord is alive. And everything that he has, you have access to. He is risen indeed. And you are provided for all the wisdom you need. He has plenty of that. All of the needs you have, whatever they are, the peace that you need, the rest that you need, the wisdom you need, all that he has, he has all that you need. He's not farming this out to anybody else. You haven't been adopted out into the different family. Because the Lord is alive, he's risen indeed. I read something yesterday, and with this we'll close. I read something yesterday that was a real help in this whole thing. The man said, we often feel like we don't have enough, like, like we're not covered for, with. He said, we're kind of like a kid who's got just the coins in his pocket. But he doesn't realize that he's the son of a wealthy individual. So he said, man, I've only got 37 cents in my pocket. But he's got all of his dad's wealth behind him. And so often that's what we do. We look at our own pocket and we say, man, alive, I don't know how I'm going to ever make it here. Forgetting that in Christ you have everything. And there is no possible way you could ever have a need that could not be met. Lord is risen indeed. He was dead. He is alive. Our sin debt is paid, and there is a resurrection from the dead for us. But in Christ, we have everything. He is risen indeed all that Christ has you have access to and on a daily basis 
You can talk with him. His work continues under his supervision. And he provides for your every need. For the Lord is risen indeed.